Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started. In 1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. And 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start. Same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckless AB to CV 2024, Proximo, Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly. San Antonio District Judge resigns after a federal corruption probe. A former San Antonio, Texas judge goes to federal prison after pleading guilty to accepting bribes in exchange for rigging cases in his court. Angus McGinty committed the ultimate judicial sin. Why did you do it? I did it because I was foolish. Listen to How to Bribe a Judge on RevolverPodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. The John Anik and Kenny Florian Podcast. Jason, what's up, guys? John Anik and Kenny Florian. Oh, my God! Here are your hosts, John Anik and Kenny Florian. I mean, would you look at this? Would you look at this? If you're audio only today, you got real issues. Seriously. Because we are all in studio. It is Monday. It is July 30th, 2018, episode 165 of the Anakin Florian podcast. Live from Los Angeles today, and look what the fucking cat dragged in today. The man in mahogany. <laughs> the man in mahogany. I love that. Bruce Buffer is here. What's up, man? We are live. Look at you. I love this. Look at I can't you. believe it. It's what great. a state you guys live in in this California. It's nice, I mean, This right? is not fair. It's nice. This is not it's fair. Nice. We, we, have it, we have it very good here. I started a GoFundMe page so I could try to live here one day. You, know? <laughs> you happen to wake up to one of the most beautiful California oh, days. Oh, my yeah, gosh. It's so awesome. Yeah, it's beautiful. I don't know if I fit in, though, right? I mean, I, I'm at Buffer's house this morning. Thanks for the hospitality, sure. by the way. And he's sure. putting, like, brain octane oil in his coffee. That, wow. You do this, too, yeah, right? I mean, These I MCT oils yes. and stuff. I didn't know you were into that. Good stuff. Well, I, you know, last night I made him a cup of coffee when we got to the house, right? Uh-huh. And he's like, this is the best coffee I've ever had. Yeah, yeah. it was pretty And pretty all good. I did was I saw a two-and-a-half men's segment, and they asked his maid what she did. She goes, I sprinkle cinnamon on the top. That's all I do. And he's like, it's the best coffee God. I ever but had. Did you go to sleep yeah. right after at night? No. Coffee? No, yeah. I did not. But, oh, okay. we, you know, we're burning it at all ends. And we right. hit the first flight out of Calgary. So uh, nice. so yeah, the caffeine was wasn't going to phase me. But uh, hell of a show in Calgary. And while we have Bruce Buffer here, we got a few things we want to hit on with you. But we also want to get your thoughts on the fights. And sure. It seems like I'm just kissing fans' ass off the top of the show a lot when I talk about these crowds after an event. But. There are no crowds like Canadian crowds. I think yeah. in terms of per capita, how much noise each individual makes. And the Brazilian crowds are great. European and Irish crowds are legendary. The English crowds, of course. But every time we go to Canada, they blow the doors off the place. Can I back you up on that? You can. I got a call from my mom after the show, right? Yeah. She goes, was there something wrong with the sound? I go, why, Mom? Because mm-hmm. all I could hear was the crowd. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, so it's like, yeah. and she watches every show, so it really is true. Canadians are one of our hugest, most loyal, rabid fan bases out there. Yeah, and Ioana, when we talked to her on UFC tonight, said the exact same thing. We were off camera at that point, but she was saying, she's like, I think I want to move to Calgary. She's like, the fans are the nicest ever. They, yeah, they're, yeah. they're the smartest fans. They really love the sport. Um, so, yeah, I agree. We talk a lot about all of the options on the American sports landscape, and I think that hurts the UFC a little bit in the United States. And I think sometimes when maybe we go to San Antonio, Texas, when, and we're only there once in five years, internally I'm thinking, man, why, why can't we blow out this, this place? You know, the Spurs yeah. have 41 home games a year, and it's packed to the nines. We go to San Antonio once in ten years. I don't care who's on the card. I feel like we should blow it out. But uh, every time we go to Canada – 
they they love the UFC, and obviously we were in Calgary back in 2012 when we were here for the first time. So, Buff, I know you are a guy who has a lot of different irons in the fire. I mean, so what's going on right now? I mean, you got this bobblehead thing going. <laughs> I mean, yeah, there's a, there's a few things now. Um, MMA bobbleheads uh, at MMABobbleheads.com. They made a bobblehead of uh, um, Chuck Liddell, Danny Henderson, and they came to me. And when I saw the 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 detail and the artwork, because everything's hand painted. The man spends thousands making the molds before he even makes the bobblehead. Yeah. He's very passionately into it. So he put together this bobblehead, and, and we started pre-selling it last week, and their sales are through the roof. It's a, a limited edition, which is actually almost over half sold out before it's even come on for sale. And when they get this, it's amazing. I, I, I don't know if you have a picture of it, but it just it just looks really unreal. Nice. So go to MMABobbleheads.com for that. The other thing is um, been busy doing some films. I can't talk about one. It's going to be released at Christmas. It's pretty exciting. Oh, wow. Yeah. Pretty exciting. Got to work with Will Ferrell. Let's just put it that way. That's, yeah. Wow, that's big. So I'm pretty excited about that and some other projects. But, you know, life's a roller coaster, man. you got to stay on that thing and make sure you go in the right direction. So that's Bruce awesome. does these wedding and birth announcements as well. And I'm sure a lot of people on Instagram and a lot of people who are listening to, th- to this show saw Stipe. Mia Chich recently had a baby and Buffer did the birth announcement. He offered it up to me. I respectfully declined. <laughs> yeah. The UFC, the former UFC heavyweight champion, Steve Bay, though, took Buffer up on it. And it's got to be pretty cool for you, right? I, I know, you know, your life as celebrity has a lot of different components to it. But to see somebody like Stipe announce to the world that he had a daughter with your voice as the backdrop, I, I got to think that was pretty special for you. I, I well, mean, even though you couldn't do it for Hunter, at least you got to do it for Steve <laughs> Hunter's going to have to get into the UFC at some point. I, right, yeah, no, I'm going to do a birthday one for yeah. Hunter pretty soon, yeah. trust me. Yeah. Um, you know, the thing is, I, I really like Ryan, uh, Stipe and, and his wife, Ryan, and they've always been really nice to me. And I told them when they had the baby, give me, send me the logistics, yeah. you know, the statistics, and I'll send them something really cool, That's right? Cool. So Ryan texts me right after she gave birth to the baby, Amazing. literally right after she gave birth, give or take whatever time zone that wow. is. Wow. And sent me the statistics. I sent it back. We're thinking, okay, they'll enjoy this privately. Then all of a sudden, my... Twitter and my Instagram's lighting up because he put it out on Instagram and Twitter yeah. uh, what I did for his baby, which I did just as a passionate, friendly thing. Sure. And suddenly now it's become whatever, and I'm getting like 25 orders for baby births and, you wow. know, in the last week. And we do a lot of uh, specialized recording. Just go to BruceBuffer.com. I, I specialize in weddings, birthdays, birth of babies, you know. Depending on the time, coming out now. You know. <laughs> Good morning, Los Angeles. We're in the middle of an office building here. Sorry, I get I get a big kick out of it because the thank you notes alone I get. Um, I charge very reasonable for it, and I give uh, partial proceeds to animal children and military charities. Yeah, nice. You know. And you can have Bruce Buffer at your wedding physically. It costs you a little bit. Cost you a little bit of money, but if you want Bruce Buffer there, live and in color, uh, that can happen for you. I as have well. married a couple. Yes. Do you? I'm oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Although the you, you know when when Mister and Mrs. Kenneth Florian came out for the first time, uh, do you know who introduced them? Goddamn right, Buffer. Goddamn yeah. right. All right, I want to get into Dustin Poirier a little bit, yeah, and we'll circle yeah, back yeah, to a couple yeah, things yeah, with yeah, you. Yeah. Uh, Man, I feel good for this guy, Ken Flo. 16 UFC wins, 11 of them finishes, none bigger than the one he got in the main event on Big Fox against Eddie Alvarez this weekend. Third straight main event for Dustin, second on Fox. I think to say he maximized the showcase would be an understatement, and, and if he's not in a title situation right now, he, he's one win away for uh, sure. Uh, clearly a huge win for him, and uh, again, this is a Dustin Poirier that truly believes in himself, mm-hmm. believes in his training, yeah. um, and I don't think he had that before. I don't think this was a Dustin Poirier that truly believed 
he could be elite in that division and be a champion. And I think that mental shift now, uh, with all the experience that he's gained fighting guys like Conor McGregor and Anthony Pettis and uh, Justin Gaethje, you could see that mentally he's different, but also technically he's different. He's fighting smarter, mm-hmm. um, you know, especially behind that jab. He's not just you know, rushing forward, being overly aggressive. Still a little bit too aggressive here against Alvarez yeah. for my liking. He, he kind of was playing with fire a little bit, mm-hmm. but uh, this is a much smarter and a much better Dustin Poirier. He's also a Dustin Poirier that um, I've been announcing both these guys for a very long time. People have to realize how long each of these men have been fighting. Yeah. And what I've noticed about Poirier, who's had like 14 losses in his career, if I'm not mistaken, is that in the last five fights, I've seen this transi- evolutionary transition. He's getting better with each fight. And I'm a big proponent of the jab. Mm-hmm. Doubling up, tripling mm-hmm. up, setting up the takedown, mm-hmm. setting up everything. Poirier uses that jab. Yeah. And it is so effective, as you said. And and who knows where he's going to go from here, but it was an amazing win. A lot of people think Tony Ferguson might be next, but uh, he is so long, you're right, and uses that reach advantage. But you're right, Ken Flo, he did get himself into a compromising spot here, and had Eddie Alvarez not thrown that wayward 12-6 to elbow, perhaps the narrative is different here on Monday morning. Your thoughts on that seminal moment in the fight, uh, the elbow that was thrown by Alvar- right. Alvarez and, and Mark Goddard's decision to issue the hard warning and take the dominant position away? Well, a couple things. First of all, I don't think Mark Henry was purposely telling him. There was some you know, talk out there that Henry was telling him to throw that illegal elbow. No, he no. wasn't. He was telling him to throw an elbow. So Eddie Alvarez chose to throw the 12-6. to six. Um, And while it isn't my favorite rule, it's the worst rule yeah, I think ever. Right. Uh, an elbow is the same, whether it's 12-6, to 12-8, you know, whatever it is, it doesn't matter, the angle of it. It's the exact same thing. It's not more dangerous because it's a 12-6. to 6. I get the whole thing on the part of the head, but that was a shot to the, to the collarbone, really to the shoulder. Um, that's really not going to do anything. However, it is a rule. You have to deal with it. He enforced that rule, um, and they certainly weren't going to let something like that go down. Uh, without being punished based on their first fight. So uh, they were on top of it. You had to stand up. They did the right thing there, and uh, I'm glad they did. You know, you guys had things happen in front of you, your position on the cage, right? All that happened right in front of me. Right. No, there was no saying, like you just said, they did not tell him to throw an illegal elbow. You know, what happened happened, and it was a shoulder shot. Sure. You know? So Kamaru Usman went at Mark Goddard on Twitter uh, in support, uh, I think, of Eddie Alvarez Mm. and – I, I don't have Kamara's tweet, but here's what Mark Goddard wrote in response to Kamara, who at least did say, you know, I don't want that ref doing my fights anymore. Right. Uh, Mr. Usman, I understand that emotion is a factor. Mr. Alvarez held the fence, clawed the ear, and then threw the 12-6 to 6 elbow. That is why the positional advantage was taken away. Uh, as far as your request to not have me ref your fights, no problem. That's easily arranged. I wish you all the best in your career. Thank you. So, But it seems as though this hard warning was issued because there had been three infractions essentially and the referee is within his right even though you can separate the three things that Eddie did wrong a referee is within his right to put all of that information together and say you know what I let you get away with the ear claw it was a soft warning on the fence grab now a 12 to 6 elbow you know what you're committing fouls for sure I'm putting you back in the center of the octagon absolutely and uh he did I remember him warning him about that fence grab uh you got to stand him up after that. And again, given the history of these two, you just can't do that. Yeah. So it was kind of a, I don't want to say a karmic ending in, in that way. It wasn't so far. It's not like Eddie, you know, really did something crazy illegal, but it was not uh, with the rules nonetheless, and they had to stop. You know, the bottom line is, and every time there's this question 
uh, over what the referee says. Mark Goddard's a very intelligent referee. He's very much similar to John, Big John McCarthy in the way he explains and the way he uh, referees during a fight and stops and starts fights when he has to. And he always has an answer that's proper, but they are the sheriff of the octagon. They have to follow the rules. In a fighter's corner, you're always going to want to bend and adjust a little bit, depending on the situation, but they have to make that call. Goddard did and, the right thing. You yeah. know, we're, We always kind of like to say that when the referee screwed up, we're, we're pretty big about it. We have yep. to say Goddard did the right thing here and, and uh, deserves credit. And we have seen at times when one fighter gets away with one fence grab in a fight, it can change the entire outcome. Right? So yeah. I think sometimes for a fan, they say, well, how are you going to you know, take the position away for the 12 to 6 elbow. I think he was doing so based upon the body of work and yes, what had happened. Right. Um, but big picture for Dustin Poirier and sort of last thing before we let you get out of here. A lot of people think this Tony Ferguson fight could happen. I think there's some sort of dream scenario where you have Khabib Nurmagomedov, Conor McGregor, Ferguson and Poirier all on the same car. Protect yourself a little bit. Do you think Ferguson is next for Poirier if indeed Tony can get healthy, you know, by the end of the year? As a fan, I'd love to see it. As a person involved in the sport, I'd love to see it. So I hope that's the case. Yeah. Yeah, I really do. Kempfel, what do you think? I mean, I think for Tony Ferguson, who was stripped of his UFC interim lightweight championship, there would be some value in coming back maybe in a three-round fight situation, of course. Tony's legendary for training six hours straight, so maybe I shouldn't put those specific words in his mouth. I would like to see Ferguson's next fight be the Khabib Connor winner, but I think it's ambitious to think that that fight would happen and then Khabib would turn around, so... How do you see this 155-pound picture shaking out? Well, first of all, it's it's cool to see Ferguson moving around like he is. He's already yeah. kind of doing crazy stuff. I yeah, hope he yeah. takes it easy, though. That made me a little nervous, him yeah. doing all that dancing yeah. and flipping and <laughs> somersaults. But, um, listen, that would be an amazing fight. However, both those guys deserve a shot as well. So mm-hmm. w- one of the best ways to settle is, okay, guys, listen. We are going to finally guarantee you that the winner of this will get the next title shot. Um, you know, for Dustin Poirier, that's a huge fight against a former interim champion in that division. Um, and uh, a huge fight for Tony Ferguson based on what Dustin Poirier has done. So uh, Ferguson has had a lot of bad luck leading up to this eventual title shot. And, um, you know, both those guys can lay claim to the next shot, but I don't think it's going to happen. I think both those guys are going to fight each other and then fight the winner of uh, that Habib and Connor fight yeah. that everyone's talking about. Isn't there a, t- uh, a time differential here? Is Ferguson hurt right now? Or he's fine? No, he's, I mean, I oh, he's don't coming know off his surgery, timeline yeah, is. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay, I, okay. I'd be so shocked he... to see him return before November, you know. Gotcha. So then this scenario could work. Yeah. Time well, but I think for yeah. Dustin Poirier, who, by the way, tore his quad in the Justin Gaethje fight in April. I mean, it was a small tear, but he wow, tore it. that's amazing. And then turned around in this situation wow. with something Eddie thought he was going to be able to take advantage of. Poirier has earned some time off as well, and yeah, I wouldn't be yeah. surprised to see him take until the fourth quarter at the very least. Uh, I want to get to Eddie Alvarez quickly, and then we'll get to Marcus Koval, who is in studio with us today as well. Man, so hard to talk about the greatest lightweights of all time without mentioning the name Eddie Alvarez for all he's accomplished, five world titles and different promotions, a UFC championship. In terms of rallying through adversity, I'm not sure I've ever seen a fighter better than Eddie, but it comes with grave consequences. And we talk so much about CTE and football. It's hard for me to sit here and say that Eddie Alvarez, you know, doesn't have a lot of damage sustained. And I don't know what the picture looks like medically. I'm just saying he has been in so many wars. I mean, I called a fight of his in 2009, Mm -hmm. and it's been one war after the next. And I think, you know, when we had Darren Elkins a couple weeks ago, 
I know a lot of these guys are clear-headed and still super articulate, but Ken Flo, for me, I, I just feel like more damage sustained for Eddie Alvarez and at times more than I would like to see him sustain. You know, uh, many times the, the most fan-pleasing styles aren't the healthiest for the fighters involved right. in them. And for Eddie Alvarez, um, he has been a fan favorite because of that style, uh, has shown heart, uh, insane heart, yeah. insane determination for years. Uh, and has been fighting at the highest levels. And everyone has that time where they should stop. And I'll, for, for, for every fighter, it's different. Some fighters can do that a little bit longer than others. But it also depends on not only how many fights, but the kind of fights that you've had over the course of your career. Mm-hmm. Um, so for Eddie, I, I hope that he's at a point where financially he is stable. He has you know everything he needs mm-hmm. for the future. Um, and uh, that, that that way he can retire, and, and Peace doesn't have to fight, uh, you know, to keep making money. But obviously, right. I know he wants to renegotiate his contract that's uh, now up with the UFC. And um, yeah, I, I just don't like seeing any fighter take damage. Eddie Alvarez has taken damage for a very long time. I can't say it any different than Kenny did, so I, I don't really want to add to that. Maybe uh, I can't add to what you said. What you said, I absolutely agree with. Mm-hmm. But I love to see him fight. And I know as a fighter and the worry that he is, he's going to probably renegotiate as far as financially. I understand he just bought a tailgate vehicle for $143,000 to follow the Philadelphia Eagles, his favorite team, my favorite team. He's a huge Eagles fan. So hopefully that means he's doing pretty well financially. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You invoke the Philadelphia Eagles, so we're going to get you out of here pretty quickly after that. 2019. (laughs) But no, and and Eddie Alvarez, he's very thoughtful, right? And he is very well-spoken, and he seems to be in a very good place. And he said prior to his last fight against Justin Gaethje that he is no longer fighting out of necessity, right? Mm -hmm. He's not fighting to to provide necessary, right? He's gotten to a financial place where... He can fight uh, for the love of the game for the first time, really, in his career. Um, but again, when you talk about these guys where they have these six-figure show money type paychecks, it's hard not to hang on for three or four more. And, and that's yeah. a great thing. But y- you also have to look at what he's accomplished. He, the guy has done it all. He's done it yep. all. He, he's won uh, titles in, in several organizations. Um, he's fought all over the world with great success. Um, there comes a point that when there's diminishing returns and when you're not putting out your best work yeah. – why go out and do that? Why go out and, and, and continue there's, fighting? Yes, there's money there, yeah, and yes, you, you have that will to fight, but if you're not putting out your best work as a fighter, as an artist, as a business owner, or whatever it is, mm-hmm. if you're not putting out, why, why continue to do it? Well, I'm glad you put it in the way you did because you, you added this every area of life this applies to, but when it comes down to the fact, there's a, there's a theory, or rather a term called uh, the roar of the crowd and the smell of the grease paint. When it comes to like, can I get off stage? Yeah, you just fall in love with this so much, either as an announcer, a commentator, whatever. But as a fighter, you'll go beyond your guns and beyond your time because of your passion, your inability to get away from the sound of the crowd, and of course, at a, in a situation like Eddie's situation, the money is big. Right. Yeah. You know? I mean, if Bruce sounded like me after you know the fight where I was calling out BJ, like I want <laughs> BJ. <laughs> it's over. Your career's over. You shouldn't be calling fights yeah. anymore. I think you know I agree I mean? with you. The yeah. voice, once the voice changes, that's once it. it goes. Yeah. Yeah, 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 exactly. All right, well, if you want more Bruce Buffer, sorry, you're not getting it today, but you can listen to his podcast. <laughs> it is called... It's time. <laughs> of course it is. Of course Come it is. Come on. Buff, do you guys like cuss you on know. your podcast or no? What was that? Do you guys cuss on your podcast? Oh, uh, yeah, swear? it happens. I've actually said uh, the F-bomb twice, according so to TJ. So we need a soundbite from you. 
for future use on the Anakin Flooring Podcast, I need you to say, like, fuck off, John, or something. So we're going to need you to do that today so we can use that in the future. Are you able to do that for us today? Well, actually, when I was on the bus coming back from the arena last night, the driver said it really well. And uh, he said, we need to get the puck out of here. So puck off, John. All right. That'll work. Buff, all the best, buddy. Thank you for popping in here. Sorry. You know that was going to be a hard one. Future UFC Hall of Famer, oh, well. Bruce Buffer. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank podcast. you very much. Kenny. All right, Buff, get the fuck out of here. Right. Take care, guys. <laughs> I'm, I'm out. Kidding. I'm out. I'm getting the puck out of here. Buff there is going go. to Gold's Gym, by the way. Going to so go train. If, if somehow you're watching this live on YouTube, even though we're not live today, uh, <laughs> go to Gold's Gym, and, and Bruce Buffer will be there in all his glory. Um, but ya, a tremendous main event, and, and Marcus can come in here at any time when he's ready, by the way. But uh, – for Dustin Poirier, just you get to know these guys a little bit, and you know, married his high school sweetheart, has a baby yeah. girl, Parker Great Noel, guy. who's coming up on two years of age. As I mentioned, sixteen UFC wins that puts him four off the all-time mark before he has reached his thirtieth birthday. And this was a guy who stayed at featherweight. Did Dustin Poirier? Because he was having the success, you know, mm-hmm. weight cut after weight cut, staring death in the face, doing to his body what he shouldn't have been doing. But when he left the featherweight division, he did so as the winningest featherweight on the roster with, yes. I think, eight UFC featherweight wins. So it sort of delayed this type of lightweight run that he could make. But, I mean, think about where he is relative to that Conor McGregor fight not all that long ago, four years. He has matured a tremendous amount. Uh, training with the guys over an American top team have helped him. Um, and, uh, yeah, he really is a, a true pro right now and, uh, and coming into his own. And, and, again, really believing that he could be a champion uh, in the 155-pound division. Yeah, and maybe Tony Ferguson will be next. And if so, what a hell of a fight <laughs> it will be. Ferguson was one of the first guys, by the way, to congratulate uh, Dustin Poirier publicly on social media. So we'll see how it shakes out. But joining us now in studio, and we're happy to have him, uh, mixed martial artist, owner, lead instructor at Systems Training Center in Los Angeles, uh, a book and documentary coming out as well, uh, Letters to Liam. Marcus Koval is with us. How are you, my friend? Good, sir. How are you? I'm doing well. So I married a Polish woman, and her last name is Koval, spelled the exact same way. I know you were born in Sweden, so do you go Koval or Koval? I pronounce it Koval. It's been butchered so many okay. times. So, uh, always, but Kova like a V. So uh, a lot of different things to get to with you today, and I do want to get some some thoughts from you on the UFC on the back end, time permitting. Um, but you were born in Sweden, uh, Swedish Special Forces at one point in time. Four one and one in your career as a mixed martial artist. Actually, um, five one and one. Five one and one. Okay, three weeks. Sherdog.com. I mean, get your I w- stuff together. I mean, we like the new look a little bit. You got to click on the record and all that stuff. But you got to get that right. So, five one and one in your career. Last win was in February by submission. That was your farewell bout. Is that right? It was supposed to be. I just ah, fought June 9th in did. Sweden in my home city. Okay, and that was my last fight. Okay, yeah. so uh, worked with Kenny for that one. Actually. That's right. So, was that your fifth win? Yes. Sir. Okay. All right. So that's the one that sure got yeah. sure dogs got it correct. So. So it's been about two years, and a lot of our listeners know the story because after this happened, we led our show with it and spent the first 10 minutes of our podcast on it. Um, your son was killed by a drunk driver. Um, your family's story you know, shook us, shook the MMA world. Um, and, but I think what you have done since has just served to inspire so many people. Um, so we thank you for sort of sharing your story with us. And I guess just off the top for me, I just want to know what the last couple years ha- have been like for you um, as you've sort of tried to move on. It's, you know, it's a pain that no one should have to, to go through and, and to lose a child is, is, is something I wouldn't wish on my worst enemy. And um, 
it it's uh you know to find your way back to find your way back to happiness to be able to wake up in the morning and enjoy life again you know it takes time and and uh it will always be with us you know it will always be a scar and and uh some days are tougher than others, you know, his birthday. And we just celebrated Liam's little brother, Nico's birthday on Saturday. Same place. And, you know, it brings back memories, of course. So, um, but the thing is, you know, you can't choose what happened to you, but you can choose how you respond to it. Mm-hmm. And uh, we decided while we were still in the hospital that we're going to find our way back to, to happiness again. And also to to make sure that our son didn't just become statistics, that because of our son, there was a change. The, the world became a little bit of a better place. And uh, we've done a lot between, you know, starting our foundation, Liam's Life Foundation, to uh, we're in the midst of finishing up uh, the documentary called A Letter to Liam and um, the book that I wrote, Life is a Moment, as well. So you wrote about 90,000 words in three months just shortly after he passed. You just started jotting down your thoughts, and, th- and that's the impetus for the book. Is that right? Yes. I started writing four days after Liam's passing. And uh, in the beginning, it was for myself. It was too, It was one of my ways of, of, uh, of, of finding an outlet. And you have to. Uh, because you know the emotional pain is different from physical pain. It feels like mm-hmm. you're going crazy. Mm-hmm. So it was one of the ways for me to deal with the grief. Mm-hmm. And but as I was going through it, um, I met a lot of parents, especially fathers that lost sons. And I realized that a lot of times, you know, they turn to drugs and alcohol. And it's not something that I condone, but I can understand mm-hmm. it because you you become desperate to find a way to to numb that pain. And that's why I decided to write the book, a way to honor Liam, to but also for for to help people that are going through grief and and find an outlet for it so what inspired you because obviously as you said people will do a lot of destructive things self-destructive things a lot of times but other people will choose the inspirational route and and the route to kind of change things um where did you arrive at the point in your life where you're like you know what i need to turn this around i need to come out of this what i assume was a depression in a lot of ways absolutely to now make this change how did that come about so and and you're absolutely right you know depression is a part of grief and 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 you have to get through it and i said we we're gonna find our way back and we're gonna make a difference but at the time i didn't really know what that meant i just knew that that was the long-term goal um but in in you know, I've learned a lot in the past two years. I learned about grief. I've learned about the legal system going through a manslaughter case. I've learned about the political side. We just got back from Washington D.C. a couple of days ago, right. where we found out, you know, it was mind-boggling, eye-opening to say the least, about dark money, dark lo- lo- lobbying, and, and it will all be part of the documentary. But we said, right, how do we make the biggest impact in the shortest amount of time? And looking at the United States, that's another thing we didn't know that someone is killed in this country every 49 minutes because of drunk driving. Someone is injured every 90th second because of drunk driving. Unbelievable. That's the equivalent of a jumbo jet crashing every single week. And, you know, there's a lot of laws in this country where you can say, you know, you can stand on one side or the other when it comes to gun laws and so on, right? But it's always a counter-argument. But when it comes to drunk driving, there's no counter-argument. And uh, we just met with a specialist in in Washington who's been focusing on drunk driving uh, fatalities since 1967. And we're currently at 0.08 in the United States. Right. And if low, we load it to 0.05, for each 0.01 that we lower the blood alcohol content by, would save approximately 800 lives per year. So some 2,400 lives right. at least. 
And where you're from, it's a zero tolerance policy, isn't that right? Basically, 0.02, okay, which is yeah. the only reason why you have that is, you know, if someone has mouthwash or something like that. So you need to have a little bit of sure. a buffer. Right. But yeah, exactly that. And in today's society, you don't have a reason to uh, to get behind the wheel when you've been drinking with, you know, Uber and Lyft and so on. There's so many options. And um, we didn't think that we were going to be opposed as much as we've been by the right. certain liquor companies and the restaurant associations, but especially by one of these dark lobbyists called American Beverage Institute that are saying that, you know, uh, lowering the blood alcohol content won't make a difference. But we have the statistics. You can, or you can, like you said, Sweden yeah. and right. all European countries were at some point at point zero eight and lowered it. And surprise, surprise, we see the amount of deaths go down. You know, um, I, you know, just knowing you, knowing how driven and determined you are, uh, I feel like these guys don't know who they're messing with in yeah. a way and because, you know, you are a fighter. Yeah. How much has that um, propelled you to do what you're doing now? I think 100%. Just like writing the book was a big part of, of my, my – and that's for you, John, by the way. Kenny, I already given one to yes. Kenny. So. Um, uh, and uh, the name of the book is well, Life is a Moment. It spells out Liam. And, uh, oh. But it also feels like, you know um, – Liam in his 15 months the name Liam means the people's protector and obviously that's not what we had planned for him but mm. um, I, I, he's already saved so many lives also by being an organ donor we donated our son's organs and uh, um but being a fighter is a big part of it. Martial arts in itself, just like writing the book, was a big outlet for me. And you have to find an outlet when it comes to grief. And uh, and, and 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 like you said, you know, you, we've been told no a bunch of times. You, we've been told that it's not going to happen. You're up against giants. But one, I know we're fighting for the right thing. Two, I'm fighting for my son. They're fighting for profits. You know, they're never going to beat me. Right. And I'm not afraid of stepping on toes. I'm happy to have this debate because over the past two years, I've educated myself about on drunk driving. And it's like going up against the champion, right? If you know you have have them in every aspect of the game, mm. and and how, how can I get beat? It's not going to happen. So if people want to help your cause or get involved with their own sort of public safety campaigns when it comes to drunk and distracted driving which is a whole nother beast as well Absolutely. i mean how do they do that i know your website marcuscoval.com they can understand what you have going on but if people want to get involved in this i mean what's the first step uh, liamslife.org okay. is our website and on there you can educate yourselves on on both drunk driving and the effects organ donation how important it is yep. uh, 22 people in this country die every single day waiting for an organ um, and we also just started a petition on change.org uh, because we want California to be the next state to lower it Utah's already done it from 0.08 to 0.05 and we had the bill written and it hasn't been sponsored by anyone so every time someone signs that petition on change.org and there's a link on liamslife.org for that. Um, and, and if anytime someone signs that, an email gets sent out to Jim Frazier, who's the man who has to accept this bill of lowering the blood alcohol content to 0.05. And until today, you know, drunk driving kills more infants and children. It's the deadliest and most costliest things on, this, on the roads in the United States today. So it's such an easy change. And yeah. um, it's so, so easy to be part of this fight by just going on there and signing that. And obviously, donations will be highly appreciated as well. All right. The book is Life is a Moment. Liamslife.org is the website. And for, for Kenny and for me as young fathers, man, we just have so much respect for the way you've handled the aftermath of this entire situation. And Thank you, John. we appreciate your time. Uh, a couple other things before we let you get out of here. In terms of competing after this happened, right? I know you've always had a great fire. I know how hard a worker you are, even doing some of the media stuff back in the day, you know, chasing interviews and everything else. 
But did it feel different stepping into a cage to fight another man uh, after dealing with that type of loss? Like, I feel like if Ken Flo went in there after experienced that loss, um, it wouldn't be good for the other guy for sure. Uh, you know, what was it like? If diff- was it different at all going to compete mentally, physically, or otherwise after experiencing such loss? That's a, that's a really cool question, and it was. It really, really was. And, you know... In, in a way, it was different in the fa- in the fact, especially because you know we have this documentary that's coming to an end, and that was supposed to be the end of the documentary. Um, I couldn't lose, you know, right. and I was fighting not just for myself; I was fighting for my son. And so the pressure, you know, you always want to win, but to know that I wasn't fighting just for myself, but at the same time, going into that cage, you know, I came out to a song that was my son's favorite song that we played at his wow. funeral, you know, um, and that I was I was nervous about because, you know, you have this state of mind that you want to get into, mm. and I didn't know how that was going to affect me. Right. And it did. It did affect me, and, and uh, I was just, I was so focused on winning that fight, but after that fight, just that the relief of how important it was to win, and then I get a call. It's like, all right, we're doing another fight for you in Sweden uh, where they're donating half of all the proceeds from the whole event to the nonprofit. I couldn't wow. turn it down. Sure. And then have to tell my wife. I told my wife before the last fight, if I say I'm going to fight again, do not let me. And then I'm like, well, I just got this call. She goes, well, what are you going to do? I'm like, I don't know. I wasn't supposed to do it, was I? She said, no, but I know you're going to oh, do it. And then to tell my parents and, and to tell the people doing the documentary that, all right, we're doing one more. They're like, no, no, you can't. This is the end of the documentary. Um, and that was even more pressure. Sure. You know, because I couldn't go back to Sweden and lose. The whole event was about Liam's Life Foundation. There right. was, you know, logos everywhere. Um, and I wasn't fun to be around the last few weeks. And especially going out in my home city, you know, where I, when I left Sweden, MMA wasn't legal still. Yeah. And then come back home and finish it there. Mm. Um, I had tears running down my cheeks as I was walking out to that fight. And, uh, yeah, it was difficult. Well, it was a W, though. We know that. So that's <laughs> a good thing. All right, last thing before we let you fly. In terms of your UFC consumption, yeah. uh, are, you, are you watching these big fights, you know, week in oh, and week out like the rest weekend. of us? You are, okay. Yes, sir. I watch both of you, and I'm excited about this weekend. Last weekend's fights were amazing. You know, I've sparred with TJ, and before my last fight in Sweden, I was up at Alpha Male with uh, with Uriah and the guys, and, mm. and um, me and Clay fought the same night as we were going. And Uriah actually asked me, "Say, hey, do you want to do some rounds with Kobe, uh, uh, with with No Love?" And I said, uh, "It was I." I actually need surgery on my elbow. I needed that before the fight. Um, but it had, it had been bothering me. And I said, I don't know. I, I'm just, it's my first day back to sparring after my, my problems with my elbow. And, he, and Uriah goes, well, then you should not go with him because he's looking like a monster. <laughs> yeah. And wow. he did. Wow. Yeah. Uh, who, who, who do you think is going to win that fight? You know, I feel like uh, Cody has has the, the tools to do it. Right. But I think TJ is is savvier. He's, he's, you know, he's a true champion. He's more experienced, less emotional, I think. Mm. I feel like TJ might be able to get into his head, but, you know, one punch from, from Cody, Cody can, yeah. can end it. Yeah. So I, I do believe Cody will take it this time. Mm. So if the UFC came calling for you or, or Dana White's Tuesday Night Contender Series came calling, uh, is, is the door closed for good? Should I ask your wife? But she's not here. We'll ask you. <laughs> she's Ukrainian too, by the way. Oh so boy. neighbors yeah. to Poland. So <laughs> you probably <laughs> yeah. know the answer yeah, to that. Right. <laughs> um, but... You know, I've said uh, that's the clause in in the marriage that yeah, right. if the UFC calls, okay. then then All yeah. Right. But you know, the problem is, and as you know, you know, it's a full time 
job in itself right. to be a fighter. And right. running He's a busy man. He does yeah. a lot of things. Four gyms, the book, the documentary. Uh, we have a real estate company. We have a non-profit to run. You know, I'm working seven days a week and been doing so for five years. So, yeah. um, And I, I'm a father first and foremost. Sure. And, and, uh, but yeah, maybe. <laughs> well, all the best to you and your wife and your son, Nico. Liamslife.org, the martial arts training center, systems training center across the SoCal area. The great Marcus Koval, man. Can't thank, thank you enough sir. for coming in. Thank you very much. Thank I you, appreciate it. Marcus Koval with us on the Anik and Florian podcast. I mean, a lot of heavy stuff in there, Ken Flo, for sure. And yeah. he's a, a, just a great human being and an inspiration to a lot of us. I remember doing an interview with him back at a, a UFC expo back in the day. And then when you saw the story that, that Liam was gone, man, it's just uh, it's truly every every father's worst nightmare. And, uh, you know, the only thing I can say with certainty is that that guy's handling a lot better than I would have. I, I tell you what, you know, uh, that to me is a, a true fighter. You know, to take something as intense as fighting in, a, in an octagon against a, another elite fighter and being able to stay composed and find the technique yeah. that can go from violent to beautiful, yeah. that's what... That's what li- that's the mastery of life. That's the mastery of fighting. And for him to take one of the hardest shots, if not the hardest shot that a man can take, mm-hmm. losing their child, and to turn it into something beautiful like that um, is just amazing and inspirational. Yeah. And, and Marcus is a, a very special guy. Well put, my man. All right, a couple more things on the Calgary show, and then we're going to bring on Ray Longo. We had to bump Longo back a half an hour today. He is he can not wait. happy. He can he is not wait. Happy. Also, don't forget, later in the program, we pay off the bet from the 2017 main event challenge. So if you're watching us on FoxSports.com <laughs> or YouTube right now, you see a fucking tube of Vegemite <laughs> sitting in front of me. This I haven't even taken the seal off of this thing yet, and my entire Stinks. suitcase smells like fucking Vegemite, you know? So... Um, and I know the Australians are rolling their eyes as they're listening to this right now. When we get to pay off the bet later, I'll explain the whole Vegemite situation so nobody needs to get too sensitive early. I know it can taste good with butter and all that stuff. I get it. But this is yeah. a punishment um, that I will be forced to undergo later today. But I want to get to the co-headliner in Calgary because the King of Rio is back, ladies Oof. and gentlemen. Jose Aldo uh, with the body shot heard around the world to knock out Jeremy Stevens. It was a solar plexus shot. It was not a liver shot. Uh, yes. And it was the hardest body punch that I have heard since starting to call UFC fights eight years ago. Yes, right in the solar plexus or the xiphoid process, Look if you this. will. And that, that's what controls all of your breathing. And that, that is a very painful shot. If you find right where the split is in your ribs, where there's a little hole, and you press down there, it's pretty sensitive right where that split is where the ribs meet that's exactly where he hit and it disrupts your breathing it's extremely painful it can affect yes it can affect your liver it can affect your heart it can affect your your lungs ability to breathe and it was a beautiful shot disguised by the right hand of Aldo. So he he went with the right hand, went upstairs with that. It was almost like a little shovel hook to the xiphoid process and uh, really hurt a very tough guy in Jeremy Stevens. If you know how tough Jeremy Stevens uh, is, then you have even more respect for the shot that Aldo threw. Now, as far as the fight itself, first of all, I was really happy that Aldo won the fight because obviously, you know, losing to Holloway twice... Um, by finish, you know, I'm sure the doubt and, uh, you know, just the, the fear of going in there against a very dangerous guy with a lot of momentum in Jeremy Stevens, uh, was very present and he had to defeat a few demons there. Um, so 
And then coming back, he was hurt. Jeremy Stevens hurt him in that round right. and, and hurt him badly. Yes. And uh, I don't know. I didn't know that Aldo was going to be able to survive that round. He did. He came back. Uh, and I was very impressed with his heart and his will to win. This is a Brazilian fighter with still a hell of a lot of pride. But one thing that concerned me was the fact that it was that same kind of emotion and that same similar shot that allowed him to get knocked out by Conor McGregor. Yeah. His yeah. right hand was really far down. Um, he was kind of rushing in. Uh, and wasn't so well protected and off that center line. And perhaps a, a guy who would have been a little bit more composed in that pocket like a Conor McGregor would have caught him with a counter sure. cross. So he, he does need to fix that. He right. got a little emotional during that fight. But it, it was great to see uh, you know, what you call is the, the greatest featherweight cha uh, champion of all time get that win. And if you're going to knock out Jeremy Stevens, right? That part of it. He is as physically tough as anybody, right? You have to separate him from consciousness, right? Yes. Completely by, with a headshot of some kind. You can break his legs or break his arms. He's going to fight through all of that. Yeah. But landing that type of body shot and literally crippling a human being, that, that's how you get Jeremy Stevens out of there. And that's how Jose Aldo did it. And yeah. I think you hit on a lot of good points here in the emotion for Jose Aldo. Yeah. This is such a fan favorite. I mean, I, you had to look far and wide for people who didn't feel genuinely great for Jose Aldo yeah. having accomplished it this weekend. There were a lot of different sources of the emotions, right? I think fear certainly is one. Like, do I still have it? And even though you yeah. can poke holes in this performance and – I still think he'd be up against it against maybe Max Holloway or even Brian T-City Ortega mm -hmm, at this point mm -hmm. in time. Um, there was that component to it. There was the fact that he hadn't finished a man since 2013. I mean, this yeah. is a guy who dusted everybody in the WEC, and then when he came to the UFC and fought Ken Flo in his second UFC fight and other guys, he only had two UFC finishes coming in, mm -hmm. last of which came against Chan Sung Jung due to injury back in 2013. So you talk about a guy waiting to exhale. I mean, yep. there were so many different components to this win for Jose Aldo, and to get a first-round knockout like that, this is truly one of the biggest. I know no championship uh, aligned with it, but this is one of the biggest wins of his career. Well, again, for Jeremy Stevens, he it, he was very close to a title shot here. If he beat Aldo, sure. he was probably going to get that next title shot after Ortega. So, um, yeah, Jeremy Stevens had all the momentum in the world. He was a very tough matchup for Jose Aldo. They both like to strike. They both can leg kick. They both like to trade in the pocket. Um, and the fact that he was able to get the win and in this fashion against a guy like Jeremy Stevens, who's been on such a roll, uh, again, was, was an amazing win for him. It seems like there's some encouraging news on Max Holloway and his return, and in all likelihood it will be Holloway and Ortega, but there's a great chance that Jose Aldo's next fight is for the UFC featherweight title. And if Ortega wins, he's back in the mix. He right. could go and challenge for that belt. I don't think it will be if Holloway wins, right. but right. Um, you know, certainly it would. he would be very excited if Ortega was able to get that win. And it seems like that is a big reason why Jose Aldo is sticking around. I mean, right. the show money obviously doesn't hurt and he's one of the biggest superstars, I think, on this roster. And you've really felt that in Calgary, just the way that this crowd responded to Jose Aldo and maybe to a lesser extent, you want to even Jacek. But um, Jose Aldo back in prime position. And still the best fighter out of Brazil. Yeah. Yeah. Well, right. They, they, yeah. We don't toss that King of Rio thing out there yeah, lightly, right? Exactly. He's earned that distinction yes. for sure. And as the president of Team Florian, we always like when, when former the few guys, the handful of guys who beat Cam Flo, we always like when they win fights because it makes that Aldo loss to Kempflo look better. Oh, right? man. Yeah, exactly. So uh, that brings us to Ioana Yemjacek. Not the cleanest performance of her career, but right. certainly a dominant one here yeah. against Tisha Torres. And I think for Ioana, there's some similarities to be drawn to this win and Jose Aldo's win, just waiting sure. to exhale. 
having some doubt creep in a little bit, and maybe the exterior for Joanna is such that you don't think that there's doubt that's crept in, but you can be sure that Joanna questioned if she could get back to this point and certainly look good Saturday night. Yeah, no, I, I think so as well. And, and I think that, you know, if you looked, you know, what they've accomplished on paper between Tisha Torres and Joanna Young-Jacek, you, you thought that Joanna was going to go out there and just, you know, destroy her in the first round. But this is why I said I think this is going to be a way tougher fight than people uh, think. Uh, Tisha was able to go the distance. She largely was uh, fighting her behind her wrestling and her takedown attempts. Uh, Joanna Young-Jacek, uh, I thought, showed great wrestling defense. Uh, she was able to keep it on the feet. Um, it seemed like she might have been stunned in one of the exchanges, I think, early on. Uh, might even be the first or second round. Yeah. Uh, but, again, she was able to keep it together uh, and outstrike uh, Tisha Torres, stop those takedowns, and uh, overall pretty much just stop everything that Tisha was doing. Tisha really couldn't get a lot. And it shows the respect that Tisha had for her striking. Yes. For a girl like Tisha, who really hasn't showed a whole lot of wrestling or ground game in her fights or yeah. has wanted to, right. to go out there behind her wrestling, I thought showed a lot of respect for Yuana. Yeah, and I think for Tisha Torres, this is a, a tough loss in terms of her championship aspirations. Two straight to Jessica Andrade and Yuana Yim Jacek, and she was pretty dominated in both I mean mm -hmm. there were some good signs in the Andrade fight but uh and some I guess you could argue in this fight as well but I think it's a huge ask for Tisha to get back to the top of the heap uh, on the heels of what happened this weekend as far as 115 pounds is concerned it's interesting when you think about that previous fight between Andrade and Yem Jacek and how Joanna mm -hmm. was able to handle a woman in Jessica Andrade who many believe is the toughest fight for them in that division Andrade is going to fight Kovalkiewicz Nama Yunus is on the mend mm -hmm. um I wouldn't be surprised to see Yon Jacek get a third fight with Rose, even though she's lost the first two. She just might. And and again, uh, I thought Rose won that second fight, but there are people who believe yeah. that you know it was controversial enough where we could see a trilogy, and based on everything Yuana has done, uh, winning six fights in a row, uh, she she just might deserve it. Not right now, however, yeah. in my opinion. Uh, and she's going to have to rectify that fear in the pocket because I think Rose Namajunas has created that. Yeah, Yuana didn't show that same kind of fear or hesitation inside the pocket or whether she wants to stay there or get out. I think Rose has caused uh, caused that. She needs to get over that. And I do believe if Jessica Andrade beats Karolina Kovalkiewicz, the fight will be Namajunas versus Andrade. And I think yeah. most people believe Andrade is the singular toughest matchup uh, for Thug Rose Nama Yunus. But 115 pounds is in good hands as usual, and nice to have Ioana Yunjacek back in the mix. Always in the mix on the Anakin Florian podcast. Raymond Peter Longo, let's get to him. It's now time for the Ray Longo Minute. I want you to punch a hole in this fucking chest. That's what I want. The Ray Longo Minute. Starring Ray Longo. The John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast. Ray Longo, did you not get the memo that we were in studio today, man? Where are I you? I wish I would have gotten. I would have came out. I feel <laughs> left out at this point. You guys look very professional. Look at very, the tan on Ray. Ray, I saw your tan last week, and I'm like, I, listen, Longo is not going to out-tan me. <laughs> so I, I came in prepared today. Nice try. Well, yeah, we had, we had clouds the whole week. You got lucky. <laughs> So uh, what's going on, man? Do you, I mean, can you see us in studio? You see how beautiful this looks I today? You, look, I got to tell you, man, you guys look better looking than ever today. <laughs> yeah. I got to tell you. But listen, you guys are in L.A. My short film premieres tomorrow. You have to get over there, the L.A. Short Fest. Kenny? Got film. Unbelievable. Come on, man. Wow. It's 16, it's 16 minutes. You're going to love it. I'll, I'll really see good. it for sure. 
Yeah, really good. L.A. Shorefest. I'm going to like uh, Lank, Lank, uh, Lankenshire Boulevard. Is that? Make oh sense? yeah, 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 yeah. I know it. Yeah. And, and what's the name of the film? You got to you got to plug your film. Love Lies and Larceny. Love Lies and Larceny. Have you seen? Is it, it the Ray Challenge? Longo story? Is that what it is? <laughs> I got it. Ray, is that a documentary, Ray? Or what is it? Yeah. I'll tell you everything. My whole life revolved around Love Lies and Larceny. <laughs> You know, well, I never thought about that. If Kenny's, you go, oh man, Kenny, Kenny's becoming some journalist. <laughs> well, if you go on Instagram at Ray Longo MMA, you can see the trailer of which Ray Longo is a part. I mean, you have no problem just looking like a complete just asshole, mean guy. Like that is look, very natural for you to look yeah, like listen, a really like, mean couldn't guy. We have, couldn't we leave it at mean guy? You had to put asshole. He in did. There. He did. He An went asshole, there. mean guy, not a mean guy, just yeah. a yeah. jerk. But uh. <laughs> But you now, so listen, it's, you know, the movies. I'm telling you, you got. I I really feel good about this. It was really good. And if you see, you're gonna. You think I'm in. You think that scene looked like an asshole, mean guy. Wait till you see it. Well, and you said there there was obviously a script, and you have a a major role in a lot of lines. But you were able to veer off script and do some ad libbing during the process. Is that right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. Th- he thinks so. I'm, I'm, I'm no spoilers, fact- right? Matter of fact, I don't even know if there was a script, to be honest. <laughs> Everybody else had a script. I didn't have a script. So That's the funny. premiere is this Wednesday in Los Angeles. I no, mean, I think it, no, it's tomorrow, the first. Okay, okay, okay. it's tomorrow. So yeah. you're not going to be out here for this red carpet situation, no? You know what? I was originally scheduled to go, but I got really too many things going on. And I got uh, we just had four guys fight last night, four amateurs. A couple are going to turn pro, but they everybody killed it. They knocked the cover off the ball. Nice. Let me give a shout-out to Lauren Braccia, Charlie Campbell, Dennis Bazooka, and uh, Justin the Kid Montalvo. Great fights, man. A lot of finishes, and guys are looking good. Good for you guys. So if Ken Flo and I want to go check out Love, Lies, and Larceny tomorrow night, I mean, are we on a VIP list? Are we buying our own tickets? How exactly does this work? Let me work? tell you something. You tell me you're going. I make the phone call. Okay. You guys Boom. Right All right. Because I did see that, you know, here, here I am in Los Angeles for a week for the first time in a long time. And, of course, your movie's premiering. So we might try to see if we can't get over there tomorrow night. Um, I would love it, love it. And I'll tell you, if I would have known you were going out, that might have been what pushed me over the edge to go out. I know. Well, see, that's too bad because we have an empty chair right here on set. He would have had to fight Bruce Buffer. Yeah, though, then that's right. That would have been. Oh, man. You got Bruce coming in? No, he, he came and went. He, he, he said he would only come on if he could lead the show, so we bumped you back 45 <laughs> minutes. <laughs> you know... Bruce is Bruce. <laughs> Bruce is Bruce. You got, got love. you got buffed today. I got buffed out today. Yeah, yeah. All I asked him to do was give me a sound bite that said, you know, fuck off, John, and he wouldn't do it. So Oh wow. Uh Ray, so Dustin Poirier, I, I'm really happy for this guy. This is a fighter's fighter, a guy who was born to be a fighter and to think where he was after that loss to Conor McGregor in 2014, just down and out, to see where he is right now, top five in terms of UFC wins all time and, and knocked out the former champion and put a nice capstone on the rivalry with Eddie Alvarez this weekend, I thought. Yeah, I thought it was a great fight and, uh, you know, a little controversy, but I don't think it really, you know, should be a part of it because, uh, you know, I mean, they were both in good shape when they stood up and Eddie was doing good with the stand-up, so I guess, you know, it just whatever happened. So it was, uh, I don't know why he wanted to throw that elbow in that position, but... Um, that was a big mistake. And, uh, yeah, great fight for Dustin Poirier. And those guys, those guys look like if they fight ten times, it's going to be ten great fights. Yeah. 
And what did you think about Jose Aldo against Jeremy Stevens? Man, I, I first off is I thought that Jeremy Stevens was going to decapitate that guy, and yeah, he, he almost he did. did. I got to tell you, I thought I'm really happy for Jose Aldo <clears throat> because the position he was in, yeah. you know, after a couple of losses to Holloway, to go back in there against a guy that's been wrecking people, and you know he's getting up there in years now, or you know at least in experience with fighting. I thought he that was a phenomenal win for Jose Aldo, and you gotta love it. You gotta love his win. You gotta love uh, Joanna's win. You know because when you're a champion and you go through that adversity after, it's really really tough to get a win over quality people. And they both came through flying colors, man. So I think that's a big thing. I thought it was a huge thing for both of them. All right, before we let you go, it looks like UFC 230 Madison Square Garden in November. It'll be Chris Weidman versus Luke Rockhold, the second meeting. I know a lot of us were hoping to maybe see Weidman fight Jacare Souza, new blood, new fight, but the promotion choosing to go with the rematch here. I know you got a lot of respect for Luke Rockhold. Your thoughts on Act 2 between your boy and Luke Rockhold coming up in November? Yeah, I think it'll obviously, I think it's going to be a different result, and I think it'll be great for Chris to uh, redeem himself. I think that's what he wants. Uh, and it's always great to come back and beat a guy that that once beat you. So I'm looking forward to that fight. I think uh, I think we're going to see a completely different fight. All right, last thing: you have $200 coming your way if you end up in Moscow with Marab Davilashvili on <laughs> September 15th, right? So yes. if you yes. end up going and not backing out, you'll make $200. We're going to give you another opportunity to win $100 today. Well, picking... where do I have to, where, where do I have to go? I got a tattoo something on my <laughs> What do I got to do? No, you don't have to get a tattoo. Uh, you need to tell us who's going to win between Cody Garbrandt and TJ Dillashaw. And if you get it right, your 200 goes up to 300. If you get wow. it wrong, if you get if you get it wrong, we take 50 bucks away from your 200. Garbrandt Dillashaw this weekend, pick 'em fight essentially according to Las Vegas. TJ may be a slight favorite in some parts. Who do you think wins the main event at UFC 227? I'm chipping in a whole $3 to that 200 or potential <laughs> hey, look, 300 Let me tell you, so I'm looking at the studio you guys are in. I think we have to up the end. You guys, this is a professional studio I'm looking at. Are you kidding? Oh, man. Uh, I, I think uh, TJ's got more tools to win, but I'm going to go with Garbrandt. I think he makes the adjustment. Uh, I think he caught him the last time, and – I don't know. For some reason, I think uh, I'm gonna. I'm just gonna go with Garbrandt. I think it's a. It is a pick 'em fight, but um, for a hundred big ones on the line, I'm going with Garbrandt. All right. So if Cody Garbrandt wins and you go to Moscow, three hundred dollars from the Anakin Florian podcast, and we're not. And what kidding. if I walk? What if I walk around with Khabib's hat on <laughs> for more than a half hour? Oh, in Russia? Well, no. Well, it, I mean, there are a lot of incentives. We can get you up to five hundred dollars if you if uh, you do that. Yeah. All I'm right. down. All I'm right. down. Anything else? Uh, <laughs> anything else before we let you go? Uh, did we mention love lies and larceny at the <laughs> LA Stewart Film Festival? Did we get L- to that? L- yet L- or no? L- I don't even we remember. Did. did we, we talk did. about that? I think briefly, but I'm glad you brought love, it back up. Lies and larceny. I can't wait for you guys to see it. I'm very excited. Well, congratulations on that. I think it's only going to lead to to future bigger, more high profile roles good. for you. So. Congrats on that. We'll try to check it out tomorrow night. And if we really decide to do that, we're not going. But if we do decide to do that. You're going. You're going, and I'm getting you in there. I'm paying a penny. Just get over and make the time. All right. We'll call you after the show, Ray. Thank you, buddy. Very good. Awesome, guys. Thanks. The Ray Longo Minute every week here on the Anakin Florian Podcast. you got to check out that trailer, man. I mean, I haven't haven't seen it yet. I I bet it's good. out of his mind. 
out of his mind. He's so natural being a killer, that Ray Longo. So. I could easily see him in the movies. Yeah. Like, yeah. All right, a couple other things on the Calgary show, and then in about five minutes we are going to make our picks, or Ken Flo is going to make his picks on UFC 227. Uh, Alexander Hernandez Ooh. with a win over Olivier Aubameau-Mercier. Hernandez pretty critical of this performance, mm. but I think a lot of us are excited to see this Adonis-looking lightweight and to see how far he can take it because yeah. Obama Mercier is no slouch. And the fact that Hernandez showed you the wrestling chops, you know, wrestling was his first martial art, right? Mm-hmm. I think we got a little bit caught up in the striking because of what he did to Benil Dariush. But for me, this is still a developing fighter at 25 years old, but a five-tool player and a guy who I think is going to be mentioned in these elite lightweight circles before it's too long. This is only his second fight in the yep. UFC? It, right. it, it's amazing uh, the maturity that he shows uh, and the intelligence that he has to game plan against tough fighters like Benil Dariush uh, and OAM. I, I mean, uh, his approach and how he goes about it, um, again, I, I was pretty blown away. And this is a guy, talk about belief in Dustin Poirier, this is a guy who truly yeah. believes he will be a champion one day. Yeah. Um, he probably has a date already set up uh, in his head. He said in two years, is that what he said? By 2020, yeah, right, exactly I'll, be, right. I'll be champ in the UFC. So I kind of believe him. Uh, and, and he's already showing some high-level skills and beating some high-level guys in the toughest division in the UFC. Uh, to do that in two fights uh, in your career in the UFC is just amazing. So I, I think uh, sky's the limit for this kid. Um, I would not be surprised to see him as a champion. He's only going to get better. And, uh, yeah. Not a great result for Olivier Obama mercier He was 7-2 and two in the UFC coming in, and I think sort of underappreciated in terms of what he had accomplished on paper. And when you look at guys in Canada that have – the best chance to realize a UFC championship, right? I think for a while, Misha Serkunov was a name that we thought might be able to emerge, and that came to a more than screeching halt, obviously. Right. A lot of people thought, yes, 155 pounds is tough, but can Obama Mercier eventually get there? I bring it up in the context of just how dominant the United States has been historically in the Ultimate Fighting Championship. Yeah. And I posted this on Instagram, Kenny, not all that long ago. 65 American UFC champions... Next best, Brazil with 14. It's been amazing how the U.S. has done. And I bring it up because Matthews Nicolau is a Brazilian guy in the flyweight division that a lot of people thought might have the chops to be a future champion. Still a young guy in his own right, but Mm -hmm. was undefeated in the UFC. And think about us going to Brazil several times a year, and his run comes to an end courtesy of Dustin Ortiz. And I just thought... That was sort of a big takeaway for me that these two young guys, Obama Mercier and Nico Lau, went in. I thought both of them were on sort of a championship trajectory or getting there. And see ya. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I saw the same thing in OAM necessarily. Um, I think he was a guy that really could represent Canada very well and fight at a high level. Did I see him as a champion? Probably not. I I think speed-wise, he's a little bit off, doesn't move as well as I would have liked to see him on the feet, and I think that's what cost him. It seemed like he was very gun-shy on the feet. He was not throwing combinations uh, or effective combinations against Hernandez. And I want to go back to Hernandez's back take. You guys needed to spend more time on that. No, no, no. no. It was a beautiful back take. He sat up in uh, half guard, kind of like octopus guard, and he dragged him forward. Again, OAM is is a guy who's on the judo national team in Canada. He trains a lot of Brazilian jitsu day in and day out, and Hernandez hit him with a nasty back take, very similar to the one that BJ Penn hit against Matt Hughes back in the day. And it was absolutely gorgeous. Got underneath that arm 
took the back of uh, Olivia Aubin-Marcier and just made him look silly there from that position. It is a high-level move that he hit. And, uh, yeah, I, I didn't think he had that kind of jiu-jitsu or, or back taken. But, wow. And, and it's interesting because a lot of people sort of balked when Alexander Hernandez, excuse me, got that number next to his name so quickly right. after beating Benil Daryush in 42 seconds. And Olivia Aubin-Marcier, who at times had been ranked, then fell out of the rankings, so probably was 16 or 17 going in. And, you know, now he'll probably become sort of a gatekeeper type as he tries to work his way back to the top 15. But mm. as we spin it forward for Hernandez and you look at the guys above him, he doesn't necessarily want top five competition right. right now. You know, I think he is looking for somebody in that six to 10 range Barboza, Gaethje, Pettis, Diaz, Iaquinta, Vic. And not necessarily the elite of the elite just yet. And super smart. Yeah. He's still young. He's still coming into yeah. his own. He's still gaining UFC experience. What kills me is when these guys come in and they just want to fight the best right off the bat without the experience. You know, unfortunately, that's like I kind of had to do it right off the bat yep. pretty early in my career. I wish I had way more experience um, before I took those fights on. A guy like Alex Hernandez, he's going to do it right. He's going to get the right fights. He's going to build up his record and build up his experience. So when he does get that title shot, he nails it. And since it's the same division, by the way, another name that has been bandied about for Dustin Poirier, Kevin Lee. I think that fight might have, have legs as well, depending on what they do with Ferguson and depending on what his timeline is. Poirier has made it clear he's not going to sit idle for 12 months. And if you know anything about Dustin Poirier, that certainly dovetails with right. who he is and what he is. Uh, but he would wait six months for a championship opportunity. Mm -hmm. And I think, depending on Ferguson's health, if they make the Khabib Connor fight, uh, you know, maybe Dustin Poirier gets asked to prepare for that date, not unlike Alexander Volkov weighed in for right. the Stipe DC situation. I think Ferguson's health is a big wild card in this whole situation because if Tony is healthy and ready to go, I think he's going to fight Dustin. I really do. Yeah, I think it'd be a tremendous fight as well. All right, well, great showcase for the UFC in Calgary, and thanks to all the fans and, and the crowd. Uh, you certainly made it festive for us over the weekend. But we are in the midst of a huge back-to-back. -back. It is UFC 227, Dillashaw versus Garbrandt 2 at Staples Center right here in Los Angeles on Saturday night. To that end, let's make some picks. Let's get to the main event challenge. It's the main event challenge. Anik. The time is most definitely now. Florian. I finished fights. I'm going to do everything possible to win. The main event challenge. The John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast. All right, Team Anik led it 88-77 going into UFC Calgary. Team Florian gets it done for a fifth consecutive week. Coming I mean, back, just... a little comeback, kid. So 5-4, to four, not right. a huge discrepancy, All but right. slowly but surely, kid. So it was a 16-point lead. It's down to 8, 92-84. Joining us to make picks today... And this is a sharp cat right here. Yeah. We, we need a rally here. On Twitter, you can find him at MMALOTN. That is MMA Lock of the Night. Manpreet Jahas is with us. Manpreet, my man, how are you? I'm fucking awesome, man. It's great to be on. I appreciate you guys having me on. I'm fucking psyched. I've been thinking about this all week. Let's get it going. Let's get Team, Ac Team Anik on the board, man. I'm going to get you back next week just because of the way you started this conversation today. Um, Let's go. All right, UFC 227, Dillashaw versus Garbrandt 2. The first fight we're going to pick today, actually the featured bout of the prelims. You can see these on FX couple of ranked bantamweights, Pedro Munoz, the minus 275 favorite. Brett Johns coming back at plus 215. Munoz has won four of his last five, is coming off a loss, though, here, Ken Flo. That was against John Dodson by split decision in March. Brett Johns, of course, 15-0 before running into Aljamain Sterling in Atlantic City in April. Manpreet, we'll start with you. Who do you like? 
So this is a pretty interesting clash of styles we got here. Uh, both of these guys really like to look, uh, walk forward. Uh, they really like to stalk their opponents. Uh, when you talk about Munoz, you're looking like for a guy that's looking to rock you, turn you into a wrestler, and then eventually clap down on that bear trap, which is his guillotine. Uh, you're talking about a guy who's also ranked eighth at the bantamweight division with 4.19 strikes landed per minute. So it's a pretty freaking high out, uh, output for a guy at the bantamweight division. Uh, the thing with him is he really has no fear when he's walking these guys down. You're talking about his fight with John Dodson and Rob Font where he's eating shots, but still, you know, staying composed. Uh, he had a shitstorm of strikes against Russell Doan, stayed composed, and eventually got his patent guilty and sub. Uh, but he does throw a lot of leg kicks and front kicks, which I think is going to, you know, really keep uh, Aljo hesitant. Uh, he's going to keep busy when he's not in the boxing range. And with his black belt BJJ, you know, he's not really diving for takedowns. He's not really looking to get it to the ground where he's probably, you know, the most safe. Um, with John, you're looking at a guy who's coming forward to get the takedown and then heavy shots from on top. His boxing is decent enough, but he eats a lot of shots. You're talking about a Welshman with a huge noggin. Uh, when he is on top, he doesn't really look to improve position. However, his ground and pound is no joke. Just ask Albert Morales. Uh, he had a really bad matchup with Aljo, who was just a stronger wrestler, better versatile striker. I think it's going to come down to who gets onto the back foot more and uh, and how well Brad Johns is with his defensive wrestling. So if uh, Johns is lazy with his takedowns, which he was in his uh, Morales and Quack fights, uh, it, it should be pretty easy to knock onto that guillotine for uh, Pedro Munoz. So I think Pedro Munoz will eventually get the sub. Uh, Brad Johns is going to make that mistake. And, uh, yeah, we'll see another guillotine finish for Pedro Munoz, probably second round. Pedro Munoz, the pick for Manpreet. And uh, I think I might have found my guy here. Yeah, that, to make uh, hell, this week. guy did his homework, and you <laughs> did your homework in finding the right guy I'm to guest you, pick here. Holy MMA lock geez. of the night. Uh, Kempfla, who do you like, Munoz or Johns? You know what? Uh, I'm going to go with Munoz. Uh, I think Munoz uh, does everything just a little bit better than Brett Jones. And, and I think that's going to be the difference here. Um, I, I think between his ground game, his power on the feet, I think he puts together – uh, the same kind of combinations. I think he hits just a little bit harder, um, and I think he's just a, cl a little bit cleaner everywhere. So I think Munoz gets it done as well. All right, next up, this will be your pay-per-view opener, I believe, Cub Swanson. He's dropped two in a row, of course, to Brian Ortega and Frankie Edgar, but as such, he is a whopping plus 325 underdog here against Hanato Moicano. Mm -hmm. Moicano, the minus 450 favorite, at least here early during fight week. Only pro loss for Moicano to T-City. Yeah. Uh, and he was convincing, I thought, in his last fight, a dominant win over the Bostonian Calvin Cater. That was at UFC 223 in Brooklyn. Manpreet, who do you like here, Cub Swanson or Hanato Moicano? So both these guys are victims of that T-City guillotine spe uh, special. You know, Moicano a little bit... Uh, a little bit more reckless with it. He was winning that entire fight. Only had about two minutes left, and he could have had the victory over T-City. Um, but Moicano is very smart beside that one gaffe, you know. Uh, he's very aware he, where he is in the octagon. He's not afraid to get his Usain Bolt on and get out, get out of bad positions. Uh, he shows great fight IQ when he fought Stevens, you know. He really started off that fight as a striker, but he saw that uh, Stevens was in a bad position, not in his regular uh, stance. Eventually got that takedown. Uh, and he's just, you, you know, he's just a very small fighter, and that stiff jab of his is just ridiculous. You know, he's he's long. He knows how to use that range. And if he's a little bit out of range, he'll throw those chopping leg kicks as well. So Cub Swanson has kind of showed an inability to adapt, especially in that second fight against Frankie Edgar. You know, we got what we got. <clears throat> and uh, <laughs> sorry, guys, you got you guys got me a little hesitant up in here. <laughs> but uh, regardless, <laughs> uh, I see McConaughey going with a uh, decision victory. You know, very technically sound with his. Uh, with his striking, I think he's going to be able to keep Cub Swanson on that long jab, and uh, it's going to be a long night for Cub Swanson. 
Ken Flo, I can sit here and say I was surprised to see that plus 325 number next to Cub Swanson's name. Yeah. But Vegas usually knows, right? Sure. And, and they're not usually off by this margin, right? More often than not in mixed martial arts, these minus 450 favorite types do come through. Your thoughts on Moicano and Swanson? Oh, this is this is interesting for me because uh, while I do think Moicano is going to win this fight, uh, I think that on the feet, Cub Swanson probably has more tools. And listen, if you can get Cub at this price right. for, for you gamblers out there, I think this is the one you kind of have to go for. Yeah. For, for the gambling community, I think Moicano's probably going to win, but Swanson absolutely has the ability to win this fight and win it by finish on the feet against right. Moicano. Right. He's that dangerous, and Moicano will strike with Cubs. So um, I just think Moicano is just a, a, a little bit taller, a little bit rangier. Uh, he's better on the ground. Um, Cubs going to be faster on his feet, but uh, I think Moicano is, is a very good fighter and learned a lot from that uh, T-City fight. Yeah, it's tricky, too, because, like, in our format, you pick up four points if Cub Swanson beats Moicano. Right. So, That's huge. Well, yeah. we'll let you think about it this week. Yeah, but yeah, it yeah. seems like a lean there toward Tanato Moicano. Yeah. Yeah. All right, man, pre-co-headliner, Demetrius Johnson, the minus 475 favorite, right? I mean, DJ and Moicano in that same price range. Um, so, DJ, the prohibitive favorite here to successfully defend his UFC title for a 12th consecutive time. And say what you want about his strength of schedule, and people certainly have and they will, um, but 11 title defenses is just absurd. Uh, Henry Cejudo getting a second crack here, man. Preet, he's at plus 350. Title fight, so we will need the round and the method of victory. MMA lock of the night. Who do you like here? So going into this matchup, once it was actually announced, I really wanted to, you know, take a look at Suhudo. I knew he was going to be a big underdog. Uh, I was trying to find reasons to bet him. Uh, he had three fights after that DJ loss. Um, in the Wilson Hayes fight, he really showed some improvement in his striking. Really showed like kind of some reckless abandon and was able to, you know, land some power shots. And Wilson Hayes eventually finishing him. But if you watch that uh, Sergio Pettis fight, you know, he he was getting a little bit pieced up by Suhudo or uh, by Pettis on the feet. And, uh, you know, that's when he kind of went to his wrestling, went to his base and played it more safe and eventually got that three-round uh, three decision. Uh, and on the other hand, DJ is just stalling on his guys. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. That Ray Borg fight was just ridiculous. That, that submission was insane. Uh, Suhudo has made improvements, but DJ is just so far ahead of the game already. I think uh, the fact that Suhudo's only real success in that first fight was that sneaky inside trip that he landed on DJ didn't really get to, you know, hold that top position for too long. But I think eventually DJ is going to eventually find that uh, that TKO once again. Uh, I'm going to say it goes a little bit longer, maybe a little bit more hesitant DJ. Uh, so let's say third round TKO, Demetrius Johnson. Uh, let's go. Cool. <laughs> All right, Kenny. No denying Cejudo's improvement since that first meeting. Yeah. That was April of 2016. Back-to-back -back wins for Cejudo over Wilson Hayes and Sergio Pettis. But completely different striking coaches and really a striking approach since we saw in April of 2016 your thoughts on what we might see this weekend right and, and Manpreet said it you know for Demetrius Johnson if they're running a 400 meter run uh Demetrius Johnson is basically 200 meters ahead of everybody in that division already so it's going to be very difficult for you to catch up now Henry Cejudo has probably made up some ground there he's probably maybe only like 50 to 100 meters behind but it's still 50 or 100 meters behind right Demetrius Johnson just has so many weapons and there's so many ways for him to win this fight now for Cejudo um anything can happen in a fight right you can knock out anybody it happens um but the way that Cejudo can win this fight is by neutering uh, Demetrius Johnson. Basically, 
be all the way on the outside, get them to respect the hands, and take them down repeatedly. You're talking about Cejudo, uh, a guy who is uh, an Olympic gold medalist wrestler. Demetrius Johnson is very good with his wrestling, but certainly not at the level of a Henry Cejudo. Um, and I think Cejudo hits just hard enough and fast enough where he can get respect to set up those takedowns very well. But I just don't see it happening. I think it's going to be a tougher fight and certainly a longer fight than the yeah. first time around. But I see Demetrius Johnson winning this fight. Let's go by decision. DJ, by decision for Ken Flo is the pick to click. Yeah, first fight, two minutes and 49 yeah. seconds. <laughs> and I know from Cejudo's standpoint, he felt like there's not even much to analyze there because the fight was over before Did it started. Didn't get a chance to really yeah. show what he could do. Yeah. All right, main event, man, pre UFC Bantamweight Championship rematch. TJ Dillashaw minus 120, Cody Garbrandt minus 110. So you do get an underdog point here on our show for Cody. Um, so Dillashaw or Garbrandt for you, man, pre and ultimately how do they get it done? So looking back at the first fight, which was their last fight for both of them, uh, TJ was really showing, uh, you know, paying uh, some dues with his uh, movement. Uh, I thought he was winning that first round until he got caught at the end. Uh, the good thing in this fight uh, was that TJ's IQ and his corners fight IQ really showcased. Uh, and the first exchange that uh, dropped TJ, he came in from the southpaw uh, position. Uh, but in that second exchange where he ultimately got the finish, he quickly changed that right before he got into the pocket with Cody, Gar uh, Cody Garbrandt, got into the orthodox position, pretty much through the same combination, but he was just a little bit out of the way of uh, Cody Garbrandt's winging hooks, and he was able to get that finish. Um, it it's just small things like that, which I think will eventually give TJ the edge. Um, in a pick em fight like this where you know either guy landing a bomb could win, I, I got to go with TJ Dillashaw. You know, I think it's going to be kind of like the first fight, uh, TJ is going to feel him out in the first round, see if Cody's made any adjustments, and uh, eventually you know, make those adjustments on adjustments and get that finish in the second round once again. All right, round two for Dillashaw. I mean, one thing I like in this fight, and I'm not giving my opinion here because I'm calling the fight, I think if you can find a prop, some sort of under prop, whether it's under four and a half right. round, I just I don't see this oh, thing going the distance they, with these they, two they guys. They just dropped the fight, doesn't go to decision. Uh, and it was like minus 265. Okay, well, yeah, right. So the so. price is kind of prohibitive there. But see how MMA lock yeah. of the night all over yeah. it, right? Give me that prop number. We guys. like that, bro. We like it. Uh, Ken Flo, <laughs> Dillashaw Garbrandt, who do you like? A absolutely fascinating fight. Um, again, I'll never forget that image of oh. TJ Dillashaw <laughs> after the fight in his face, huh. just yelling that primal scream. Just amazing stuff. Um, so, yeah, listen, I didn't think that TJ fought the best fight against Cody Garbrandt. He was playing with fire throughout that whole fight. Um, I thought that his approach was wrong, and I also thought that Cody got away from his strategy. Cody started out as a counter-striker, and you know we see him as this explosive guy with tremendous offense. What makes Cody Garbrandt great is his counter-offense, his ability to counter you, his ability to make you miss, and then he'll come back with ferocity. There's no better demonstration of that than in the fight against Dominic Cruz, who is known as a counterfighter himself. And, and the great part of that it was that he got Dominic to come forward. He was patient against perhaps the most patient fighter, or what was the most patient fighter in Dominic Cruz. Right. He lost his patience against TJ Dillashaw. He caught him in the first round, and he said, you know what, I got this guy's number. I'm going to knock him out in the second round. Did not pan out that way. Yeah. He has tremendous eyes. He has tremendous vision to see a lot of strikes. That's why he's able to counter you and move his head and move his feet the way he does and kind of point at you and laugh and, you know, pop and lock during a fight. Right. 
But what he didn't see so well and what maybe he doesn't see so well is the kicking game. And T.J. Dillashaw has a very tricky uh, kicking game primarily because, as Matt Preet said, he switches his stance very well. So you don't know where the kick is coming from. Uh, Cody did not see that kick. He got hurt by it. And that allowed TJ to eventually get the knockout win because I think he was still a little bit stunned from that shot. Now, the way he did it was very dangerous. That was Cody's domain. You cannot stand in the pocket and trade like that with someone like Cody. He was lucky to do it. Cody was a little bit slower. Why? Because I think he was still hurt from that kick. Now, TJ can fight better. Cody could fight better. Both these guys. I think TJ has more weapons. But I think that the way that these guys match up, I think Cody wins this fight. And again, I don't know if it's because I want to see these guys fight for a third yeah. time. I think it's, it could perhaps be the, the most fascinating trilogy in UFC history based on their skill, based on the fact that you have two fighters in their prime going at it and the story behind it. Yeah. It is just fascinating to me. I love both of these fighters. I think these are two fighters that are taking the game to the next level as well. Yeah. Um, truly, with mixed martial arts skill. Um, this is a hard one for me to pick. I love both of these guys. I am going to go with Cody this one. Think he gets the finish? I think he gets the finish. Um, actually, you know what? I'm going to go with decision for Cody. All right, decision oh. for Cody Garbrandt. How about that? Uh, all but right. he better stay disciplined and he better stay patient. He's yeah. got to fight the same way right. and have that same approach. Uh, he cannot force the knockout. He got yeah. a little excited in this one no, against TJ, that... who's just too damn dangerous with his offense. Yeah. And I will say most of the sharp guys I've talked to this early on in fight week have landed on that Cody Garbrandt side, mm. but it is still uh, very early. Uh, at MMA LOTN, man, preach Jahas. Great job, my man, today. I can guarantee we'll have you back before the year is out. Thank you for the time, and uh, we look forward to talking to you down the line, man. Good Sorry, knowledge, John, I man. I just got a quick exclusive for your listeners real quick. I'm just dropping my dog of the night play. I got J.J. Aldrich, one unit at plus 236. So hop on that way you guys can. You're the Thank man. you for having me on. Thank I appreciate you, buddy. it. Love it. All right, get it. Free play on the way out from Manpreet there. He likes J.J. Aldrich at plus money against Poliana Viana. And he um, picked TJ. He picked Dillashaw on He that did one? pick Dillashaw. By so finish or? For you. Uh, he picked Dillashaw, yeah, by round two TKO. Oof. All right. All right, the last thing we're going to do today, I'm going to be paying off this 2017 <laughs> main event challenge loss to Ken Flo. So the loser has to eat a piece of bread. Man. Let's flip that over, okay? I know there you're a go. germaphobe. Yes. So, all right. So the loser of, of the bread, main though. event challenge in 2017 uh, has to eat a piece of bread with Vegemite. Um, now, if you don't know what Vegemite is, you're not Australian for starters. but. Right. Um, it is. Uh, it says vitality starts with breakfast, but I'm going to read an email from one of our Australian listeners uh, before we get started. <clears throat> Hi, guys. Uh, just an Aussie here who wants to make sure you consume the Vegemite the correct way. No. Many YouTube videos and podcasts have Americans trying Vegemite, but they all do it the wrong way. They put way too much Vegemite on a slice of bread with no butter. Wrong. Nobody eats Vegemite like that here in Australia. It's way too strong. What to do? You get a soft white slice of bread or a really soft bread roll or a lightly toasted slice and first, firstly spread a very generous amount of butter on. Then spread a small amount of Vegemite over the bread. There will be more butter than Vegemite. Use enough Vegemite to thinly cover the bread but not overwhelm. Maybe about an index fingernail amount of Vegemite at most. I'm going to read that line again for you. <laughs> Maybe about an index fingernail amount of Vegemite at most. This is how we do it here in Australia, and you might even like it. No need to reply. Just wanted you to do it the right way. Cheers. So, right. Toby Crocker, 
thank you, man. Uh, issue is this is not supposed to be enjoyable for me. This is Come a on, punishment. Mike. Come on, Mike. Have it, Vegemite is Vegemite is very strong, obviously. Um, you know, the smell will, will, will buckle your knee, not yeah, unlike will. actually the breath of our <laughs> colleague. Literally, you smell this stuff, it'll buckle your knee. So, oh, man. So Ken Flo can put on as much as, as he wants, knowing well, that he's losing the 2018 main event. Well, and that's the thing, is that he will get me back. John will get me back. Um, so I have to be somewhat nice here. Now, what did they say? A fingernail? No, you do whatever you want. But you what do, did they say? A fingernail? An index of, fingernail. Index but, I mean, fingernail. if I were you, I would be, you know. Oh, I well, mean, I don't. I wouldn't do this. Yeah. Uh, let's just put a little bit. So, am, are you doing the whole piece of bread? Am I spreading it? Am I getting like mean, a little corner? What are we doing here? I think I'll eat like. Do you have I to think, eat? The, yeah, I think I have to eat the whole fucking piece of the bread. The whole piece of bread. All right, all right, here we go. Not looking forward to this yeast extract, huh? There we go. Oh, uh, we'll do that. You can do more than that. You can do more than that. That's okay. All right, all right. That is. Ha- have you been preparing for this? Oh, have no. you been? Have you been trying Vegemite? Like sandwiches and stuff? No, no, but I've been experimenting, like, how much of a food taste can I kill by holding my nose? Right. Oh, this stuff's disgusting. And you know what the Here's, good news is? Uh, now that have to do it again. For, yeah, does anybody? Ben Wasork, you want to take this Vegemite home? You good? No. Yeah. I mean, this stuff is vile, I man. am spreading oh, this around. Oh, God. It's bad, dude. This is bad. And, 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 and the Aussies do this by choice. God love you. I mean, greatest MMA fans in the world, but yeah. I just don't understand the I guess appeal. the appeal is that it's like salt. It's like a salty piece of toast. Yeah. So here's right. your salty piece of So here's the Vegemite. Toast. You see, Ken Flo was... Uh, well, oh, well, my God, dude, close you know. this. It is awful. Right. Where's the Where's the right. cap? What would you do with the I, cap? I dropped the cap. Oh, my Apologies goodness. to everybody working Oof. today. All right. Here it goes. We're going we're gonna to eat a Vegemite sandwich here on National <laughs> TV. How is it? Oh my god! <laughs> oh my god! Oh my god! Is it bad? It's that bad? Oh my god! <laughs> oh my god! It takes some water, bro. Mm. <laughs> what does it taste like? Is there anything? Is there anything you can taste? They're bringing over a trash can for him in case he vomits. Oh my god! What would you Let me choke that this to? first bite down, then I'll tell you. Oh, my goodness. He's chewing. He's chewing. It's taking him forever to chew. It just, right. Are you tapping out? I know this doesn't make for great audio. Uh. Thanks to my man Jeff Williams for bringing me a goddamn trash can in case I have to puke. <laughs> it tastes like a combination of like soy sauce and gasoline, like uh. made into a paste. Right. It tastes like a, soy, a bad, bad soy sauce paste. <laughs> so I guess if there it was toasted and there was some butter and you're just using a little bit of this poison, it might taste okay. <laughs> you know what? I'm taking the fucking crust off. You can okay? take the crust you know? off. That's oh, fine. God, this shit's revolting. Why did I agree to this? Or maybe the crust would mask the, the taste. Oh, it? my God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's about to go, guys. He's about to throw up. He just might. Vegemite. Sandwich. This episode of Anakin Florian Podcast is brought to you by Vegemite. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. Mm. Not a fan. Why would the Australians do that? Who invented that? Why? How did? Who came up with this idea? We love you, Kyle. Yeah, no, let's get beer. Is... Let's get beer yeast and spread it on mm. toast. That sounds delicious. That is a tremendous idea. And they still do this. It's a thing. Uh, you know, 
some of our, our production crew, Ben Wasorg, was just in like Croatia and Russia eating all sorts of crazy foods and stuff. But I don't think Ben would come up and take a bite. I almost lost it on that last <laughs> really? round. I think I have two bites left. Problem is no, if I try he's to, saying no. Yeah. Ben, no. All right. Problem is if I try to put this all in my mouth, Right now, I will throw up, and I might, I might actually throw up here. Um, but I'm well, no, here's the thing: is now, guys, he's getting down to the middle. This is where all of the Vegemite is. It's at the center of this piece of bread. So this, is, John is holding his nose right now. He's trying not to lose his cookies. Uh, so is that salty or what, kid? Oh god. <laughs> mm. This is what happens when you when you get an all-star group of guest pickers and you try to beat the flow. You lose. You lose, Johnny. Vegemite. First the 209 tattoo. Now the Vegemite sandwich. Ah, oh, gosh. I just But now I'm just now I'm just playing with fire cuz when I lose in 2018, I'm in trouble. 209 tattoo. So much greater than this Vegemite <laughs> yeah, sandwich. Yeah. So I got a, you know, pretty good stomach for this. You know, I, I, did, I did join a fraternity in college, so I have been hazed with food in my lifetime. This stuff is fucking disgusting, okay? <laughs> like, I don't know what else to tell you, you know? I just don't understand. Uh, and I will never get to a point in my life after paying off this bet where I would right. actually eat this willingly, even on a piece of buttered brioche or whatever, sure. you know? Um, we, we love the Aussies, but respectfully, I don't understand the Speaking of which, that area anyway, oh. would you do a shoey or would you eat? Like, would you do a shoey, tui, tui vasa style or mm. would you eat that? That's a good question. <laughs> I'm not like a germaphobe on your level, but right. the shoeys just sound awful. Mm-hmm. I'm He's choking this down. He's choking it down, guys. Mm. He, he ate. Listen, you got to get up to Anik because. He did the 209 tattoo. He's eating the Vegemite sandwich. He's a better man than me, I'll tell you right now. This guy, some people don't think that's real, by the way, which is crazy. Someone's like, did he really tattoo 209? Yeah, he did. And he's and he All really right. just ate that Vegemite sandwich. Right. That's impressive, dude. So, anaclorianpodcast at gmail.com if you have suggestions as to what the punishment for the 2018 main event <laughs> challenge should be. Ken flows eight points down. It's got to be equivalent to something like that, guys. Don't get crazy. We'll see. You know, what we're leaning towards doing right now, and I don't know how Fox Sports feels about this, is having Kenny have to do a power hour. <laughs> Kenny doesn't drink a lot, okay? So a power uh, hour, if you don't know, it's a shot of beer every minute for 60 minutes. And if it sounds easy... You have no idea. It's over seven beers in an hour, God. and the first 20 shots are amazing, and the last 40 are, are no fun at all. Um, and I would probably do the power hour with him, but the beauty for me would be if I didn't right. win, I wouldn't have to finish. <laughs> I could just bow out at minute 37. <laughs> Tricky thing is, is that Kenfo hasn't had seven beers all told in 2018, probably, probably. or thereabouts. Without so to doubt. make you drink seven and a half, I don't know how realistic that is. So um, I, I would do it. I would do right. it. We'll figure something out. You just um, did that. I would do that. But that's going to do it for today. Thanks to everybody here at Fox Sports for, for helping set up the, the, the extended studio yep. here today. And thanks to everyone. Ben Wasorek. Danny is back. Glad to have you. Jeff Williams, John Hill, and everybody uh, behind the curtains. Thanks to our PR man, John Stout, for coming out today to watch the show live. Thank you to our guests, Ray Longo, Bruce Buffer, Marcus Koval, and of course, MMA Lock of the night man preach Haas on the picks as well uh good to see you in studio kid yeah kid i'm gonna time. go meet his daughter 
Yes. Figured I'd invite myself publicly on the air, then he couldn't say no. No throwing up in the car, by the way. I know. Yeah. I'm wondering how that's going to settle later today. Yeah. That shit is disgusting, you know? <laughs> really. Uh, for Ken Flo, I'm John Anik. Thank you all for listening. We will see you on pay-per-view Saturday night for UFC 227. Until then, enjoy the fights. Don't text and drive. Yo, later. The John Anik and Kenny Florian Podcast. Sports betting is sweeping across the country faster than the coronavirus, and Wagering Week is your antidote. I'm Tom Martin, and I'm a veteran sports analyst and respected sports handicapper who helped build ESPN's brand. I've been recognized and awarded by Pro Football Weekly and Gaming Today magazine as the honest handicapper. Let the other guys give you the same old boring sports talk with the same tired storylines. We'll give it to you straight here every Friday on Wagering Week. Don't gamble with other podcasts. Let Sports Garden Network's Wagering Week help your bottom line. Hello, I am Dr. George Jesus Mesa, a clinical psychologist and collector of Chicano Latinx art. For generations, we have known of the healing powers of art at an individual and community level. Please join us as we interview prominent artists, collectors, curators, and influencers in the world of Chicano Latinx art. We will explore historical, regional, and political influences that impact Chicano Latinx art today. Along with our partners at www.latinoarte.com, we are preserving the colorful and rich history of Chicano Latinx art for future generations, one interview at a time. Please join us at Healing with Dr. George, the power of Chicano Latinx art, wherever you listen to podcasts. Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started. In 1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. And 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start. Same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckley SAB to CV 2024, Proximo, Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly.